Yeah. Well, um, uh, this lesson starts with a question for you guys this morning. Um, Pentecost. Um, if you compare it to Christmas and Easter, uh, those are big days for the church, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Uh, always special sermons oriented around it and, and uh, uh, it's it's even big in the culture yeah. Christmas and Easter both uh, but Pentecost kind of comes and goes and, you know uh, and sometimes I mean I think in churches I grew up in it would come and go and no reference to the fact that it was Pentecost or right. the, the anniversary of Pentecost but the Pentecost, if you think about it, the birth of Christ was important. Him coming to earth and being with us on earth. And of course, Easter, his death and his resurrection are very important. But if you think about it, Christ said, I will send you another comforter, didn't right. he? Actually, the coming of the Holy Spirit is, in a sense, an on, something, for, as far as we're concerned, more important than the fact that he was on earth at one time. <laughs> because, you know, it's the advocate we have with us now, part, uh, yeah. today, right? So why is that? that? Any of you got a thought on that? That's not really emphasized that much, is no, it? Not really. No. No. I think I think that one of the reasons is because for so many years it was referenced as the Holy Ghost, okay, as opposed to the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And I think that I think that that had a connotation where. Uh, where people didn't want to, people didn't want to associate with the, that kind of thing, that, you know, that kind of thing, you know. That really kind of led to a misunderstanding of what it was all about. Yeah, yeah, and and they didn't want to have to explain it. You know, it was a little too, a little too much for Maybe there wasn't a pagan holiday to celebrate. Yeah. It's that 50 days after Passover. There was in the Roman world. Well, um, whatever, whatever the reason is, if you look at Scripture, um, there's an awful lot in scripture about the Holy Spirit and who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit means in our lives and what the Holy Spirit does. Um, Here's another thought, Bob. The, the Holy Spirit is a very self-empowering thing, right? It's a it's something that, that says that each individual is indwelled with the Holy Spirit and, and gives that person power and discernment and wisdom and encouragement and all of that. And um, 
the early church was very much about not the early church let's call it the middle church you know when when the catholic organization you know the political organization was all about control and controlling the people and i think they wanted everything they wanted everything to go through the priests through the organization they, they didn't want to self-empower the all the people they wanted people the people to obey the church and stuff like that and i think I think that might have had something to do with not promoting, you know, the Holy Spirit as a as an individual indwelling. Yeah, as a as a third person of the Godhead. Although that's what the uh, the Church came to is that the the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. We've got a Trinity. Not a dinity. <laughs> I don't know what yeah. what would you call if it were just if God were just two by yeah, one by instead of three by one. But the spirit of God uh, referenced over and over again in in the in the Bible and. And it was by God's Spirit that the prophets, uh, first of all, the prophets themselves, the Word of God came through what? It came through inspiration. Inspiration. In fact, the word, word inspiration comes from the word Spirit. Inspiration. Inspired. The Spirit in. Uh, even uh, that first references to uh, that prophet, that uh, that kind of reluctant prophet back in the in the book of uh, of Numbers, uh, Balaam. You remember Balaam, <laughs> who who uh, prophesied about uh, even though he probably didn't want to. It's the Spirit led him to prophesy that uh, for Israel's welfare. Um, Isaiah 61 uh, and verse 1, which is uh, quoted uh, by Jesus himself a little later, uh, I think over in uh, Luke, Luke chapter 4. Uh, what does, uh, at the very first, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he says what? Um, um, when he was asked to speak at the at the uh, synagogue very early in his ministry. One of the first times he got in trouble, you mean? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he unrolled a scroll of Isaiah. This was Isaiah 61. And in verse uh, 18 and 19, what does he say? Somebody uh, have that? No, verse 18 or 19 in my... My name's at 11. <laughs> yeah, mine too. <laughs> <laughs> he's, talking, he's not talking about Isaiah, he's talking about in Luke. Oh, in Luke. Yeah. Oh. Well, yes. it's, it's from Isaiah 61. Yeah, yeah Isaiah 61, 1. I the spirit of the yeah, the Spirit of the Lord, Lord is on me. Right. Because He has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. Mm -hmm. uh, the ministry of Jesus was the ministry of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit, God working through Him. 
by the way, let me let me back up a little bit to last week. You know, we were talking about the two natures of Christ. How can you have uh, a divine and, and uh, human nature in this one same, person, same person without some kind of split personality? Uh, and I think uh, we uh, probably we didn't pay enough attention to that passage in Philippians. I'm kind of switching gears on you guys now, but I got to thinking about this, that maybe we should have paid a little more attention to what what he says in Philippians chapter 2. Uh, <clears throat> where he talks about Christ Jesus being in very nature of God or in the form of God and on an equality with God, right? But that's in past tense. That was, he was on, on an equality with God. But look at verse 7. He made himself nothing. King James Verdon uh, says he emptied himself, doesn't it? Any of y'all have a King James? All right, here. Verse, verse seven. 7. 7. But made himself of no reputation. Oh, and made himself of no reputation. And, and upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Yeah. I thought one of the translations translated that he emptied himself. But basically that's, that's what he did. Right. He made himself nothing and he took the nat nature of a servant. Right. Uh, and, uh, and humbled himself. So in a sense, um, it, it was like he gave up all the prerogatives of deity. He just gave those up. Right. It would be a little bit like saying that <laughs> if you could become an ant or a worm, that uh, you would have to give up all your prerogatives of a human being, which means, you know, your all your power and all of your knowledge that you have as a human being to become a worm. But you would it would still be you. This worm, you know, if you could do that, Larry, here's a worm. This worm is actually Larry. That'd be hard for people to believe, wouldn't it? Yeah. It was hard for people to believe that this man, Jesus, was actually God. The Son of God, who was appearing now just as a human human being who, who was hungry, who got tired, who could bleed, and who could die? How could God? But, but that's what he became, wasn't it? He gave up all of the prerogatives that go with being God to one, become a man. One of the things that's powerful there is that he had the ability and the power to do that. I mean, it's like when you're talking about him becoming a worm. He, that even, he if, gave up. even if he wants to do that, he, he doesn't have the ability to, to do, become he doesn't have a worm. Right. He doesn't have the power to do that. Yeah. You know, I can't, I can't say to myself, well, okay, I'm going to give up my humanity and become something else. Because I don't have that option. I don't have that power. Only, only a deity really would have that power. The power to... Uh, humble himself that way. Yeah. It's yeah. sometimes been compared to the king who decides to become a, just an ordinary pauper and go out among his people, just kind of give up all the trappings of his power to kind of live 
another illustration is, as I think of it, is this thing on the, this program on TV where the owner of a company, um, what is the name Undercover of Boss. Yeah. Uh, Undercover Boss. Undercover Boss, where he, yeah. he goes in and applies for a job and uh, he becomes just a, a waiter in this restaurant or something or a cook in the kitchen. <laughs> He's not there to give orders. Uh, he's just there to see what's going on and to kind of experience what it's like to be an employee in this company. And in a sense, that's what God did, didn't it? He became a man to experience our, our condition to be tempted as we're tempted and to suffer, you know, and actually to suffer death for us. And, and as far, you know, even Jesus, apparently uh, the, the powers that he had were a power depending on the Spirit of God coming on him. Not the power he had as the Son of God but the power he had because of the Spirit which came upon him, you remember, at his baptism, right? Yep. The Spirit came on him at his baptism, and then he says, and, and uh, quoting in Isaiah 61, now, now, now his ministry begins this way. And there's another interesting verse, Matthew 12, 28, where he, he was accused of casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub. Yeah. Where does Jesus get that power over the, over the demons? And what does all that mean? What does what does Matthew twelve twenty eight say? Bob? But if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, the kingdom of God has come upon you. It's by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons. In other words, he's not saying that I have that power. He says it's by the Spirit of God. Right. He uh, he had given up the power of God, and now he depends on the Spirit of God for what he's doing. And uh, and he himself said, "I don't even know the day or hour of the end of the, of the coming of the Son of Man." Did he? He warned us about trying to predict that, and he said even he did not know. Uh, the Pharisees accused him of being uh, the devil himself. Or, yeah, yeah, he was trying to say that. That really is kind of doesn't make sense, does right. it? He argued <laughs> the devil's working against destroying his own house. Right. Yeah, interesting how he elevates the spirit in 32, 1232, where he says, anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. In this age, we're in the age to come. Well, that, now that would raise a question. A dispute here that we could talk about for a long time. <laughs> the, unforgiv the unforgiven sin? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. In other words, you could... You could Did you make a diet? 
You could curse Jesus, right? You could be forgiven of that. In fact, Jesus on the cross prayed for the forgiveness of the people who cursed him. And that's possible, isn't it? Yeah. You want some blueberries? No, thanks. Oh. I'm good. I brought some stuff. Oh, got, look at that. Dates. Exactly. <laughs> well, even in, in Acts 10, verse 38, where the uh, Peter is preaching to the uh, to Cornelius, he attributes, you know, that what Jesus did was by the power of, of the of the Spirit. And then, of course, uh, when it comes to the church, uh, it's interesting, and and the. We, we speak of the of the book of Acts as the Acts of the Apostles, normally, most of the time. Right. But the Holy Spirit is mentioned 42 times in the book of Acts. 42 times. Another 20, 28 chapters. That's almost twice in every chapter in it, on an average. So uh, some might be more appropriate to speak of the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is God, the Holy Spirit, at work. Uh, of course, the Spirit was poured out on, on Pentecost. And, and Jesus had indicated, you know, earlier that that's, they needed to wait for that. that this, and he had promised them in the book of uh, Gospel of John that this would be another comforter, another advocate to be with them. It was like... Jesus himself is present now. How? He's present with his people through the Holy Spirit. Not through the, the human fleshly presence, but through his presence. And uh, and what does it mean to be a quote to be even to be a Christian? He says, you know, you've got to be born again. Being a Christian is not just a matter of believing in God. Or it's not certainly not a matter of, of trying to obey the Ten Commandments. You've got to be born again. Mm -hmm. uh, the uh, the Pharisee Nicodemus, you know, was uh, a believer in God. Was he not? Mm -hmm. I'm sure he was a believer. He was a believer. Was he trying to obey the commandments? He certainly was, wasn't he? Ability, but Jesus, that's not enough. You have to be born again of water and the Spirit. Don't you? And it's uh, and it's through the witness of the Spirit that that we actually experience being God's child. It's through uh, Romans eight fifteen through sixteen. You did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him, by, it's interesting, he uses the personal pronoun to refer to the spirit. Mm -hmm. 
He didn't say by it. Right. He says, by him we cry as the Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And uh, John talks about this witness, this internal witness that's, in, that's within our hearts. It goes beyond you know, something written. <coughs> Excuse me. First John chapter 5 and was it 15 through 18? Yeah. We know that He hears us. We know that, that, that God hears us, that we have this personal relationship with God. And that whatever we ask, uh, we know that we have what we ask. Uh, I be, you know, this is uh, really beginning in verse 18. And verse 19. We know that we are children of God. And, um, well, I'm still, no, I'm, I'm, I've got the wrong verses here. It's 1 John 5, 6 through 11, I'm looking at. He talks about the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Did not come by water owner, but by water and blood. There's been a lot of discussion. What does he mean by water and blood? Um, maybe the most people would say maybe that refers to his baptism and to his death. But anyway, uh, it is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. And there are three that testify. The spirit, the water, and the blood. Uh, and what do they testify? And the three are in agreement, he says. This is God's testimony. And it's greater because it is the testimony of God, which is given about his Son. And, and anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart. This testimony that we are that Christ is the Son of God and that we are his children and heirs is a testimony there's something in our heart that says this to us and this in verse 11 this is the testimony what is this testimony God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son that's the testimony of the spirit and he says the water and the blood whatever those mean but it's through the spirit of God that we have assurance that you can experience the testimony in you that you have eternal life it's through the, the power of the Holy Spirit that we are, we are empowered to act as Jesus was empowered to act. The gifts of the Spirit are various powers to perform 
service to the glory of God and for the building up of the body of Christ. And then the, there's also the power of the Spirit to live the kind of life. How is it possible even to do what God wants us to do, to be the kind of people God wants us to be? We don't do that by, by our own willpower. Uh, the, uh, you know, the 12 steps in AA have it. The first step says we, ad <laughs> we admitted that we were powerless over alcohol and our lives have become unmanageable. The Christian life begins with a statement, we, we admit that we are powerless over sin. And it and it's and, it, and our lives are a mess. You know, the world going to hell in a handbasket, that's sin. And it's sin in and each an individual. It's not just the politicians, it's in all of us. Uh, and we're powerless over it. We've become slaves to sin. But we came to believe that there was a power greater than ourselves. That's step three. We came to believe there was a power greater than ourselves that could restore us to sanity. And the New Testament teaches, of course, that power is the Holy Spirit, isn't it? We don't, we don't live the Christian life in our power. If, or if you're trying to do that, you're you're going to fail. Mm -hmm. It's just like the alcoholic who says, "I know I can handle my alcohol. I can I can I can take care of it. I'm not that weak." An alcoholic who says that is going to relapse every time. Right. And the Christian who says, "You know, I can I can be the kind of man or woman I know I need to be." I can handle it. You're going to fail. <laughs> the inspirational speaker at this uh, herb breakfast. She was an amazing woman. Had undergone a terrible tragedy in her life. Had been in a terrible accident. Burned, burned most of her body, and, and had an amazing story of her comeback and all that. But her, her basic message would have been a message for corporate America, you know, someplace totally non-religious, non inspirational, but it was all about, you have this within you to do this. You can do this. You can defeat depression. You can defeat loneliness. You can come back from any tragedy. And it was all about, it was all about calling on this power within you, okay? Now, if you, if you were to name that power of the Holy Spirit, that would be one thing, but, but she certainly implied in this message that each of us has that power within us, in and of ourselves, which I thought was a strange message for her. she claim right. you have that power within you? To avoid sin in your life? No. No. There was no She didn't claim that you have that power. No. And she didn't she didn't even claim that that power is not of you. 
that, that the power that you have within you is given to you by the Holy Spirit or by God or by, you know, no, there was none of that. It was strictly a self, self-awareness, self self uh, I got enough. Touch it. Thank you, dear. Now it's perfect. All right. Just right. <laughs> Just right. <laughs> I'm okay. I already had a refill. Thank you. Which, of course, is is the message of the world. It's the message of the devil. You can do it. You can do this. You know. You can do this. You can be. You can be anything you want to be. You have the power. You can sit on the throne. You know. You don't have to give that throne up to to someone else. You can do this. Well, there are some natural powers that are given in creation that we do have. Uh, you don't need the Holy Spirit uh, in order to learn the multiplication tables. I don't believe. You only need what God has already endowed you with. Yeah. Right. If you've been endowed with these abilities. Right. You already have So what we're talking about is the power to serve God by building up the church through the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Those things are only by the power of the Spirit of God. Those are not natural. Those are not naturally within our power, the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, another interesting, important thing about the Spirit is that that's it's kind of a, uh, there are two verses that say this, uh, Galatians uh, uh, or Ephesians 1 and in Ephesians 4, Ephesians 1.13 and Ephesians 4.30, that we, the, the Holy Spirit is a down payment or an earnest, if the Greek word is Aramon. It's like uh, the earnest money you give when you make a pay, uh, decision to buy a house. That That's the kind of guarantee that, that you're really serious about this and you're going to follow through, although I recently made a down payment. <laughs> yeah, we heard about that. <laughs> but I don't think God is that fickle. <laughs> so... He's, he's given us a down payment all right, uh, on our being our children of the life to come. He has lived in the eternal life. Happy wife. Happy wife. Good morning. Hey, Bill, how you doing? Good to see you. Good morning. Now, this book chapter is not so much a, it's not really so much a, 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 a study of all the biblical references to the Spirit, but about how the church came to really understand the, the Holy Spirit in relation to the Father and the Son. And uh, they, the, is there really a trinity? Is the Holy Spirit 
uh, a person, uh, a distinct uh, person like the Father and the Son. And, uh, and the, uh, you know, the, the, obviously the, the, the Bible talks about the Spirit, even, and the Holy Spirit given to the church. <laughs> what evidence do we have in the New Testament where it looks like that they are equal and there is a real trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit? Well, um, there's a couple of references here. For one, well, as we've seen throughout the New Testament and after Jesus, after the Holy Spirit comes, it seems that the Holy Spirit works doing what Jesus would do if he were on earth, doing what the Father wants done, but that's always done through the, the Spirit, isn't it? So the implication is that you know, the Holy Spirit is equal with the Father and the Son. And then you have this verse in 2 Corinthians where we have the three kind of put together here. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the communion of the Holy Spirit. The prayer that we would we would know the grace of Christ that that would uh, inspire us and be a, a part of the way we live that we've been forgiven by the grace of, of Christ and what He the gift of His life for us, which is equal to the love of God. That's also God's love for us, expressed through the grace of Christ, which is also the communion of, the unity together with the Holy Spirit, which joins us to God. So there's that implication is three. Christ, Father, the Son, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> and if you look at all the New Testament references, um, we could spend time looking at passages where a lot of times Paul in his letters will just kind of, he'll be talking about the Spirit. And then he'll, be, he'll refer to it as the Spirit of Christ or the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of God. It kind of just goes from one to the other as if these are really the same. The Holy Spirit is also the Spirit of Christ. It's also Christ with us, isn't it? It's also God the Father. The Holy Spirit is actually the Father, God the Father present with us. Now, there is a... Another view of the Holy Spirit, a non-trinitarian. This is—it's it's really a non-trinitarian view. It's called the ec economic view. It means the Spirit is just one way that God functions. It's not an uh, an equal person in the Godhead with the Father and the Son. It's just a way of talking about that's how God functions. Uh, for example, Irenaeus, uh, the book refers to Irenaeus here, who lived, who was one of the first Christian writers, one 
lived uh, in the second century, 130 to about 202. <clears throat> he says, <clears throat> God has two hands. He has the Word, and then He has the Spirit. <clears throat> but it's God the Father using the Spirit or the Word to accomplish what He wants to accomplish. <clears throat> but that's not really making the, 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 the... These are hands of God. They're not really God. The Word is not God Himself, and the Spirit is not God Himself, they're just His hands. But what does the Nicene Creed say? Point, point C, the Nicene Creed says about the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, and thy fear proceeds from the Father who is worshipped and glorified with the Father and the Son who spoke through the prophets. And so on. Okay. And so on and so on. He is worshipped and glorified with the Father and the Son. Yeah. And he's referred to with personal pronouns. Time and time again. He's referred to with personal pronouns. Yeah. As, as, and personal as, pronouns. As, as he did this. <laughs> Spirit. He did this. Yeah, you know, that kind of he is. He is the Lord. Who give, and, uh, it, instead of it doesn't talk about everything the Spirit does. Who, who gives gifts? Who uh, bears fruit in our lives? Who bears witness? Who are children of God? Who is the down payment? He's, he just mentions the Spirit as the as the giver of life. That's where life comes from. Our life. Why would we? Why would we think that we could fully understand the nature of God? I mean, that's, you know, this has been given to us to help us, to give us kind of a something we can grasp about the nature of God. But I, I think in humility we have to realize that. You know, we don't fully understand the nature of, of God. You know, and that, and that this is the best way our limited minds can uh, can grasp it. This is what yeah. He's given us because this is what we can understand. He knows us. He made us. He knows us best. Right. There is a there is a view which says that. The, closer you get to God, the more you really understand who God is, the less you can say about Him. That's an interesting... The less, the less you have words... The less, yeah. if, the less you can say you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Remember the scripture, God is love? So it's not... So knowing God is not just having a lot of words about God, but once you really know God experientially, the closer you are to God in reality, the more you feel like keeping your mouth shut. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The more you realize words aren't going to do it, right? <laughs> the more you realize how ignorant you are. Yeah, really? Yeah. 
uh, that was kind of the experience of Job, wasn't it? Right. Yeah. And God said, where were you when I did this and this and this? And Job didn't really have a lot to say at the end, does he? And he was rewarded for keeping his boss. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's look at these two quotations. These are very important uh, early Christian teachers. Uh, there are two Gregories, Gregory of Nyssa and Gregory of Nazianzus. Um, both, both lived in the fourth century, about the same time. Uh, the first one, Gregory of Nyssa. Uh, read that, Bob. All other things are performed equally among the worth by the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Every grace and virtue guidance, consolation, change into immortality, passing into freedom, and whatever other blessings there are that come down to us. They're performed equally. Equally among them. And what does uh, Gregory of Nazianzus say about that? The Son is not Father, yet He is whatever the Father is. The Spirit is not Son, yet whatever He's, whatever the Son is, He is. The three are a single whole in their Godhead, and the single whole is three in personality. That's that's what he's. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> makes sense. Uh, yeah. The uh, <clears throat> there is one other verse which talks about the, the distinct personality of the Holy Spirit in the book of Ephesians, where Paul says, "Not grieve the Holy Spirit." You don't, you don't grieve an impersonal force. If the Holy Spirit is not just a force or a power. You, you can't grieve a power. Right. You can grieve a person. Right. But this person, the Holy Spirit, is not a separate God. It's not three gods. He's not a third God. He is God, the Holy Spirit. That's that's something I've hard to understand. I think that explains it better than I've ever heard it, though. I believe there's a lot of things in the Bible that we don't really understand. Hopefully, you know, someday it will all be clear to us. It says not in this that world, one but substance. In some ways, this next chapter, chapter 10, God the Father, uh, seems a little bit out of our order because the, the creed begins we believe in God the Father, creator of heaven and earth, right? But. Uh, um, uh, this really is really a chapter on creation. Uh, and the work of God in creation. 
and then we start talking about the redemptive work of Christ and how the early church understood that. Even then, in the beginning of Genesis, it says that the Spirit of God was moving above the waters. Yeah. Yeah, the Spirit of God was active in creation, wasn't it? And of course, it was by the Word of God that all things were made. In other words, God in His Trinitarian essence, in His Trinitarian substance, was the Creator. But <laughs> it's primarily attributed to God the Father, but it was also through the Word and the Spirit. They were not, they were not separated. It's interesting that, that Genesis, you know, written well before Christ in the New Testament and, and before the Jews even acknowledged a trinity, three persons, you know, they were, they were so monotheistic, fiercely so, you know, and yet the very beginning of Genesis talks about the Father, the Spirit, and the Word. Well, the Jews don't acknowledge the Trinity yet, do they? The Jews, they don't acknowledge the Trinity Well, no, yet. because they don't acknowledge Jesus as yeah. being the Bible. Yeah. <coughs> yeah. If all you had was the Old Testament, could you come up with a doctrine of the Trinity based on Old Testament scriptures with three persons and one God? Or do you really need the testimony of well, I, I think that they were separate persons and united in one. Well, they they definitely they definitely looked for a Messiah. Okay, right. so so they had the Messiah concept, but they were very confused about it. But did you? But is there a, is there really a test? Is there really verses in the New Testament that says when the Messiah comes? Well, that the Messiah was actually be God who has emptied Himself and made Himself a man. Well, there is one verse, and Jesus used it in in, uh, in His debate, and it's in reference to Psalm 110. Jesus asked his opponents one time, how do you explain Psalm 110, verse 1? Do you know which word I'm where talking Divas, about? Where, uh, where Dan, uh, David says, uh, my Lord said to my Lord. Or yeah. yeah. He says, how could, how, how could David call the Messiah his Lord if actually he's just his descendant? Yeah. Which indicates that Daniel when the Messiah comes, that he's going to be of much greater uh, a stature mm -hmm. than just uh, than just David, than just, just, just one, of, one of David's descendants. Or, yeah, or any king. Yeah. And then there's Daniel. It's Psalm one about the fourth man in the fire. One hundred and ten. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make them, thine enemies thy footstool. He's called it. My Lord, is da that means David's Lord. Right. So there is that, that hint 
at least a hint, you see, that the Messiah will be a greater glory in some way mm -hmm. than even David himself. Well, I don't know that you have to be able to understand or explain the Trinity or the Nicene Creed to be a Christian. What is that? What's the basic? Jesus said, you can't, Paul says, you can't, you can't, the only way you can say Jesus is Lord is by the power of the Spirit. Do you confess Jesus as Lord, as God, as Lord in the sense of the highest power and authority on earth? Which means you're confessing him with the, the authority of God, right? You really only should worship God. But if you confess Jesus as Lord, as the authority, then uh, isn't that really what it means to be a Christian? That you submit to Jesus Christ. You give your life to Him totally. The submission is, yeah. is the key, right? Yeah. And and even then, if you if you and that doesn't say much about your, your how, how how much understanding do you have to have? How much of the Bible do you need to know to say I will follow Jesus? And and if you choose, if you say that, if you say I will follow Jesus, then you have to under, you have to at least acknowledge his statements. Yeah. I and the Father are one. Yeah. Okay. I mean, he yeah. he said it. Yeah, so, whatever. Yeah. So either but, but you, if you, you might follow, not, you might not have a knowledge of all of that. Though. True. There are a lot of you know, you know, there's a lot of, and that doesn't mean it's not important to 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 learn to become to greater knowledge. But what's really important is that you 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 can memorize the New Testament and still not be a very good follower of Jesus. <laughs> Jesus said himself, he said to the Pharisees, you think you have eternal life. You study the word because you think in them you have eternal life. You're going to kind of do what God says, but you won't come to me. That's where the life is, to come to him, isn't it? So we, it's important to keep in all of this discussion, you know, of what really is of most importance is not how smart we are, <laughs> but how obedient we are. Right. Amen? Yeah.